Savior, He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy, I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to So keep going over 542, a little chorus. In my life, in your, in our home, in your church, Lord, be glorified. That's our desire, our goal uh, as a church and should be as individual Christians to see God glorify in all that we have and all that we do. 542, Lord, be glorified.
First Peter, and we're going to tackle a very interesting question today, and that question is simply, where is God when we suffer? Where is God when we suffer? Have you ever thought about that when you're in the midst of dealing with heartache and pain and trials? Perhaps during the times of your deepest woe, you kind of feel like the hymn writer who wrote, does Jesus care When my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song, as the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long, does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does He care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I tried and failed to resist some temptation strong. When for my deep grief there is no relief, though my tears flow all the night long. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me and my sad heart breaks or aches till it nearly breaks? Is it aught to Him does He see? In other words, you may, in the midst of your time of suffering, wonder these things. Does He care? Is He here? Will He help me? Does He care? Is He here? Will He help me? Those are important questions, beloved. 
And we need the answers to those questions. We need to be rock solid on the answers. Does he care? Is he here? Will he help me in the midst? Where is God when I'm suffering? Now, you're in First Peter, I hope, by now. And you remember from last time, perhaps, if you were here, that Peter is writing to a people who are dealing with all kinds of various trials and issues and people who are hurting. As you've already seen, we've actually titled the series on 1 Peter, Hope for the Hurting. And we're going to learn more about that precious hope today. In fact, as you'll see, it's a hope that the Old Testament prophets wanted to know more about. And it's even something that the angels themselves want to know more about. And so you're in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be reading today, beginning at verse 3 and going down to verse 12. As we think about this question, where is God when we suffer? Where is God when we suffer? Look at it, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what matter of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Notice the last part. Things which angels desire to look into. In the last message, we talked about and learned more about who we are in Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to learn more about what we have in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go ahead and lay my cards on the table today. I'm going to tell you the four things that we're going to talk about. And you can jot them down. And then we're going to take them one by one. All right? So if for some reason you have to leave early, you have the full outline. But I hope you'll stay. We have in Christ, we have these four things. Hope, an inheritance, security, and joy. We have hope, an inheritance, security, and joy. So let's take those four things one by one, and then we'll be done today. First of all, I want you to notice, in Christ, we have hope. And verse 1 doesn't just say hope. It calls it a living hope. Now listen, when we talk about hope today, we are talking about things that we wish for, things that we desire. And so we might talk like this. Well, I hope it doesn't rain today. A lot of people are 
thinking like that, right? I hope it doesn't rain today. But, but then maybe some young, young lady might say, well, even if it does rain, I hope he'll ask me out on that date. And then others might say, well, you know what? As I think about it, I hope the Panthers have a better season uh, this year than they did last year. And then there might be a young person among us who says something like this. I hope that dad doesn't uh, uh, figure out that I dented the car. It's just a small dent. Uh, nothing major. I hope, I hope he doesn't notice it anytime soon. On and on, just wishful thinking, desires that may or may not work out, things that we want, preferences, but real security is not there. Stability is not there. That's not the type of hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Beloved, it says it is a living hope. It is a certainty. It is sure. Why? Because it's established, according to that verse we read, upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father. He's praising the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Just as Christ is alive today, our hope is alive. And beloved, He's alive forevermore. And our hope is certain. I like what Warren Wearsby said about a living hope. He said a living hope is one that has life and therefore can give life to us. Because it has life, it grows and becomes greater and more beautiful as time goes on. Because he observes that time actually destroys most of our hopes. They fade and they die. There's some things maybe in your life that you hope would happen. Some dreams, some goals. Some things that you had your heart set upon. And they didn't come to pass. And as you continue to grow and get older, the hope for those things fades away. Some of them you may have already given up. And you've had to deal with that. But he mentioned that the passing of time only makes a Christian's hope that much more glorious. You see, beloved, we have a living hope. It's it's not a wishful thing. It's not a preference. It's it's not just something we hope will work out in the end. It is a certainty. It is a a surety. Because before we came to Christ in saving faith, we had no hope for life after this life. We were condemned. We were doomed. We were destined to spend an eternity in hell. But now because of Christ, because of the glorious salvation that He's given to us, we have a hope that this is not all there is. And I don't know about you, but the older I get and the longer I live, I'm so thankful to know this is not all there is. We have a sure hope. We have an eternity. We have a life after this life with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're a child of God today, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a living hope that is sure and settled. And if you don't have Christ, may I encourage you today to turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. Find the forgiveness of your sin and be giving a hope, eternal life, the forgiveness of your sin and be made a child of God. In Christ, we have a living hope. But here... There's more. In Christ, we have an inheritance. Now, I don't know, beloved, what your earthly inheritance looks like. 
You may have a lot of wealth coming your way. You may be set for the rest of your life because of your earthly inheritance. That may be the case with some. Others here, you might be thinking, well, to be honest with you, I don't have anything coming my way. I don't even have an earthly inheritance. Maybe some would even say, well, I realize that I'm actually going to have a liability coming my way. The inheritance I will receive will actually be something that will serve uh, as a detriment, perhaps even. I don't know about your earthly situation, but I'm happy to report today to every born-again child of God that's listening to the sound of my voice, we have an inheritance coming, beloved, that is literally out of this world good. Peter mentions it in verse 4. Look at it. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, if you're like me, when I read that the very first time, my thought, well, what is the inheritance? I know it describes it, but what is it? And I think verse 9 answers that question. Look at verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You say, wait a minute, preacher. I thought I was saved the moment that I repented of my sin and placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I thought that was the moment that I was saved. Well, beloved, you were. The moment that you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, you were saved. And you are saved if you've done that. And you have eternal life this very moment if you've trusted Jesus Christ. So why does this speak about the future aspect of our faith? The end of our faith. I thought we were already born again. Well, as a child of God, and if you're a child of God today, you can honestly say these phrases, I was saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. You could say that today. I am saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. I know it's not grammar class, but just think about it. Past, present, and future. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean, I thought I'm saved once for all, so how can I say I'm being saved? And I will be saved when I already am saved. Well, think about it, beloved. In the past, when you repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you were saved from the penalty of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But when you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, you received Christ's righteousness credited to your account. The imputed, the Bible uh, teaches, the imputed righteousness of Christ. You now are in Him. And you've been delivered, you've been saved from the penalty of sin. But we still struggle with sin, don't we? here in the present, maybe even today already. And so we know that we've been saved and rescued from the penalty of sin, but in the present, beloved, we're being saved from the power of sin. We don't have to sin. In God's power, we don't have to sin. When we sin, we choose to sin, by the way. I'm talking to believers now. We've been freed from the penalty of sin, the bondage of sin, but we still sin but we've been delivered from the power of sin. We don't have to sin. And then it gets even better. There's coming a day we're going to be delivered from the very presence of sin. The presence of sin. 
We have a hard time, don't we? Even imagining a place, a time, where we don't wrestle with temptation. And we don't wrestle with sin. And so we can say, I am saved. I've been delivered from the penalty of sin. I'm being saved. God has delivered me this very moment from the power of sin. And I will be saved one day from the very presence of sin when I'm in heaven with the Lord. You see, this inheritance, beloved, it deals with the end or the conclusion of our faith. This inheritance that we have, it includes everything that we'll enjoy throughout eternity in heaven. You might be here today, and I hope that you are saved. If not, I hope you'll get saved in this service. But you're here today maybe, and you say, well, I'm saved. And so you have eternal life right now. But you've not literally experienced everything that's yours in Christ. I mean, I'm looking at you, and you're looking at me, and we all know, I hope, that we ain't perfect yet. Pardon my grammar. And we haven't received our glorified bodies. This is not the best it's going to be. Hallelujah. Y'all are not the best you're going to be. (laughs) There's coming a day where we're going to be uh, perfect. Absolutely perfect. We're going to receive our glorified bodies. Furthermore, you've not yet received your eternal rewards. The Bible talks about Christians being rewarded. We're laboring for those now. But we've yet to receive them. But at the conclusion of our faith, we're going to receive those things. And all the rest that goes with it, that's all included in this idea of this inheritance that we have. And this inheritance is awaiting us. Notice what type of inheritance it is. Notice verse 4 says that it's an inheritance that is incorruptible. That means it doesn't break down. It doesn't become ruined. It's incorruptible. It doesn't corrupt. It's also undefiled. Look at it, verse 4. It says it's undefiled. That means it's free from stain. It's free from blemish. And then it says it does not fade away. It's never going to lose its beauty, its value. It's never going to wear out. It's never going to grow old. You know, earthly inheritances don't work that way. You might inherit a beautiful mansion. I hope you do if you want a beautiful mansion. You inherit a beautiful mansion. But what happens over time? What happens to a mansion or any home or any building for that time? It begins to do what? To decay and break down and things wear out. And you constantly have to maintain it. And it can even face total destruction. A storm could blow through and wipe that mansion off the map. Fire could rage throughout that mansion and bring it to a pile of ashes. And if it's the right type of materials, even little tiny termites can decay and corrupt and bring down your mansion. Because that's the way earthly inheritances work. And if you receive that mansion in all of its beauty and you do nothing, eventually it's going to fade. And it's going to crumble. And it's going to fall. That's not the way our heavenly inheritance works. Our inheritance in Christ is stable and sure. In fact, did you notice it says it's reserved in heaven for us? Hallelujah, beloved. I I realize today there's an inheritance in heaven with my name on it. There's an inheritance, if you're a child of God, in Him. It's reserved for you. It's reserved for you. 
what it says in the Scripture. But there's more. It just keeps getting better and better. In Christ, we not only have hope, we not only have an inheritance, we have security. When it comes to our earthly inheritances, whatever that is, lands, houses, money, stocks, bonds, cars, jewels, whatever it is, there's one big issue that we all face when it comes to earthly inheritance. You know what that is? We might not live long enough to get them. You can have the greatest inheritance awaiting you, but you may not be waiting for it. Why? Because we die. But that's not the case here. Some dear saint of God might be here today, might be fearful and thinking, well, I, I don't know if I can hold out. I don't know if I can hold on for this inheritance you're talking about, preacher. Well, listen, the Lord is not only keeping the inheritance for you, He's keeping you for the inheritance. Hallelujah! Say, so why are you so excited? Look at it, verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, if we had to keep ourselves, we'd be in serious trouble. He's not only keeping an inheritance for you, He's keeping you for the inheritance. You're kept by the power of God. God is keeping us. The scholars tell me that word translated kept. You're kept by the power of God. It's a military term. It has the idea of being guarded or shielded. The tense of that verb, it means you're being constantly guarded or shielded, assuring you that you're going to safely arrive in heaven. You're going to safely receive that. Think about this. God is keeping you as soldiers surrounding you, guarding you, keeping you by His power to make sure that you receive your inheritance in Jesus Christ. Remember that question I asked you at the beginning of the message? Where is God... When we suffer, well, beloved, He's holding on to you. He's keeping you by His power. When God, it's been said, it's so lovely, when God permits His children to go through the furnace, He keeps His eye on the clock and His hand on the thermostat. He's keeping you, beloved. He's keeping you by His power. And when we realize that in Christ we have a living hope, we have a glorious inheritance, and we have this rock-solid stability, it brings about that fourth thing that we have. And in Christ, we have what? Joy. We have joy. Look at the verse, next verse, verse 6. In this, you greatly rejoice. Now, I want you to really process what I've told you so far today. The Scriptures have taught us. If you're in Christ, you have a living hope, sure, stable, you have a glorious inheritance that's yours, reserved in heaven with your name on it, all that's coming with that. And not only that, you have security that you're going to make it, not because of you, but because of God and His power. And when you realize that, it ought to thrill your soul and there ought to be joy. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. The problem is, we want the verse to end there. We don't like that comma. Did you notice the comma? In this you greatly rejoice, comma. We don't like the comma. Because the comma leaves room for something else to be mentioned that we don't like. We wanted to say, in this you greatly rejoice, period. That's not what it says. That comma leaves room for the rest of the verse. And the rest of the verse talks about trial. 
In this you greatly rejoice. And so then it brings up trials. Joy and trials in the same verse. Now, now this makes sense when you think about it, beloved. Knowing that we have hope, and knowing that we have an inheritance, knowing that we have security, and knowing these things cannot be taken away from us, then that means we can have joy even in the midst of the trials. For the sake of time, let me look very quickly with you and just kind of bullet point what it teaches us about trials here, especially in verses 6 and 7. Read the verses, then we'll talk about it. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. The genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about trials for a moment. Various trials. I don't know what kind of trials you're going through right now. I can tell you this, though. There are various trials. All of us have them. But notice what it talks about here when it says trial. Notice these truths about trials. Number one, trials are temporary. They're temporary. I love the phrase it uses there. Trials, what? For a little while. Verse 6. For a little while. Trials are not forever. You say, well, preacher, you just don't understand. I've been dealing with certain trials for years. And I'm I'm not diminishing that. And I understand that. But I want you to think for a moment in the scope of eternity. Trials are for a little while. They're temporary. Not forever. They're temporary. Furthermore, they're purposeful. Notice verse 6 says, if need be. Did you notice that? If need be. In other words, God is not going to allow that which is not needful in your life. There's a purpose behind the trial. Moms and dads, you understand this. There are things that you let your children endure because you have a purpose behind it. You're trying to teach them. You're trying to mature them. You're trying to help them. You're trying to grow them. And God, who is our glorious and perfect Heavenly Father, He knows there are some things that are needful in our lives. He allows those things to come in our lives and He has a purpose in doing it. If need be, and we do have those needs, He allows the trials to come. Furthermore, did you notice that trials are hard? I didn't need to tell you that, did I? But it says in verse 6 that they were grieved by various trials. Trials and suffering is not easy. It's hard. It's painful. We don't sign up for them. We don't want them. Because they are grieving to us. They, they grieve us. They're diverse. He says there are various Trials, verse 6. Trials come in all shapes and sizes. Don't anybody look around, okay? Trials come in all shapes and sizes. You may be having a health trial right now. Maybe you're having some problems in your finances. Might be your relationship with your spouse or relationship with your kids. Might be some issues you're having in high school. Might be a class you just, you can't get. You might be facing someone on a daily basis that's attacking you or bullying you or whatever. Uh, maybe you've got some stresses and stress. Maybe right now you're mourning the loss of a loved one. Uh, maybe right now you're really struggling with, with a certain temptation or sin in your life. Maybe there's an area you're not getting victory and there's some struggles that you're having. On and on and on and on and on we could go. 
We could spend all afternoon. Boy, wouldn't that be a blessing, though? Let's all share our trials and our struggles. But the reality is, that is the reality. We all have them. You know, there are some folks you never ask how they're doing because they'll tell you. You just wave say, hey. Don't say, how you doing? Various trials. They're diverse. There are lots of different trials. But here's something in verse 7 brings along this. I'm going to summarize verse 7 under one word, and that is they are valuable. They're valuable. It says that it shows that our faith is genuine, that it is not fake. It says that it is, uh, our faith is more valuable than gold that perishes. It teaches there in verse 7 that the way we handle our trials for the glory of God, it brings glory to Jesus for His praise, His honor. And so we, we often think, you know, I'm okay with the inheritance part, and I, I like that part, but we've got to get to the point where we realize that the trials themselves are valuable because they have a purpose, and God is molding us and shaping us, and even in the midst of the trial, we can have joy, and when we have joy in the midst of the trial, we bring glory to God. And these things are valuable. These trials should build our love for Jesus. These trials should build our trust in Jesus. Look at verse 8. He says, Him having not seen you love, though now you do not see Him, yet believing, talking about Jesus, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. I find it interesting that section that talks about trials. It starts out talking about joy and it ends with joy. Did you notice that? In this you greatly rejoice, comma, trials of all kinds at the end, verse 8, yet you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Only Christ can do that in your life. Only the Holy Spirit's working can do that. That is not natural, that's supernatural. That's not a lost person that can do that. That is God working in us, His will and His ways. Which brings us back to the original question. Where is God when we suffer. Well, I just want to tell you, beloved, He's with you. He's with you. He's holding on to you. He's molding you to be like Jesus. He's shaping you. He's maturing you. He's loving you. I opened with that old hymn, Does Jesus Care? And I gave you the verses, but you know what I didn't give you? I didn't give you the chorus. I just gave you the verses. And the verses just keep asking, does Jesus care? Does Jesus care? Does Jesus care? But you've got to realize there's a chorus that comes. And the chorus is glorious. And the chorus is so true. And the chorus goes, oh yes, He cares. I know He cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long night dreary, I know my Savior cares. Dear child of God, never forget who you are in Jesus Christ. We learned that last time. You are chosen. You are set apart. You are forgiven. You are a child of God. And because that is true, verse 2, never forget what you have in Christ. You have a living hope. You have an incorruptible inheritance. 
You have a rock-solid security. And you have an ever-abiding and ever-deepening joy in the Lord, even in the midst of trials. Where is God when we suffer? Look at this. He's holding us in His strong and loving arms. And He's keeping us by His great power. Father, thank You for Your Word. Help us to grasp the truth that we've talked about today. That it would really settle in our hearts. Father, I pray if anybody here does not know for certain that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, I pray Your Holy Spirit to work now. Touch their heart. Show them their need of Christ. Bring them to faith in Christ alone. And Lord, I pray today for my brothers and sisters in Christ. As the majority of this message has been directed toward those of us who know Christ, Lord, would you help them in the midst of whatever it is they're facing to realize who they are and what they have in Christ? Would you do a work in their life today and help them to see the value of the trials and help them to see the security they have in Christ and help them to see what's awaiting them when we see you And give them hope today. A living, true hope that nothing can affect or take away. Have your will and your way in this invitation, I pray. And we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is 447. It is well with my soul. If you need to be saved today, we'd love to talk with you about that. If you want to come and pray and ask the Lord to help you. We can help you in some way. Let's do that. 447, we'll stand together and sing. The altar's open. You come as we sing.